Good morning. It's good to see you all. My name is Tim. And uh, whether you've been here for a long time or a short time, I hope that one of the, I don't know, vibes or whatever you're picking up is that this is God's church. He started it a couple years ago, and he adds people. I don't know how long we're going to be able to continue to do who wants to pray today. You know, we're gonna, there's going to come a time where this church is large enough that's going to become difficult. But already, I imagine, if you're like me, that when Stefan asks someone to pray, you're thinking, ah, should I, should I, should I, should I not? You know, in a small group, we all get to talk. When we're one-on-one, we obviously get to talk. And these kinds of opportunities, it's usually one talks and the rest of us listen. But hopefully, one of the things that you know about me is that I want to encourage us all to embrace our part in God's vision for our church. It's his church, and each one of us have a place to play. And so this morning, we're going to talk about confidence. Where does our confidence come from? Uh, Crisis is a catalyst for faith. And I don't know why, when I was thinking about this, crises... I was thinking about Des on the back of a motor scooter in Vietnam behind this guy she just married, and it's raining, and she's wondering, Lord, what did I do? Now, that might be unfair, but I don't know why that came to my mind. What is your crisis of faith? That's going to be something I ask you later, and hopefully I'm going to leave us enough time where we're actually going to get to talk to each other a little bit about that. But the question we're going to answer today is, How does Christ use a crisis to develop our confidence in him and in how he's leading us? As Alex said in his testimony, we sang all these wonderful songs this morning about who we are and who the Lord considers us to be and where we're headed, but he did all that for a reason, not just to bring us into the family, not just to to guarantee where we'll be in the future, but because he wants to do something with us right now. And so how does he develop the confidence in that? There's a confidence that's needed to place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in salvation, right? But that's not the end of the story. Actually, that's just the beginning of the story. There's a lot more to be written. And so this is the question that we'll be wrestling with today. And so at the end, I hope to have enough time to ask you, what is your crisis of faith? What would you say was a crisis of faith in your life that God used to increase your confidence in who he is and what he's done for you and what he wants to do in and through you. As we go through this uh, time in this passage, I'm going to give you some tips. I want you to be looking with me uh, for the use of the senses, hearing, seeing, touching. These things are going to jump out. And there's going to be one that's not so apparent, but it's, it's an interesting way that Mark uses this. And then I want you to think about the kinds of healing that take place. The word used in the text is always healing, but the, the, uh, the Greek term is the same term as salvation. Okay, now I don't think that's what Mark is using it for here, but it is interesting, isn't it, how that term can be used both ways. And then I want us to observe the results of Jesus' response in those who exercise faith. So Jesus is seeing uh, people respond toward him in faith, and he, in turn, responds to them. What is his response like? And in each situation, we will see a faith opportunity found in a crisis. 
So we can look at crises in a number of ways, but the way that I want to look at them this morning is as our opportunities. A crisis is an opportunity. Secondly, what is Jesus' response, as I just said? And then third, what is the result of exercised faith? And I've already tipped my hand, and I believe it increases our confidence. It increases our confidence in Jesus. It increases our confidence in who we are in Jesus and in what he wants to accomplish through us. So here's the big idea of this passage. Faith in times of crisis allows us to see Christ's power and authority and strengthens us for future opportunities. Okay, and I'll remind us later on where we were a couple weeks ago in the boat with Jesus, right? Crossing the the sea, and, and, and the disciples are all afraid. But faith in times of crisis allow us to see Christ's power and authority and strengthens us for future opportunities. So we start with the faith that steps out of the crowd. And we find this in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. <clears throat> here we read, when Jesus had crossed again in a boat to the other side. So here we are, two weeks ago, we were crossing over, right? It wasn't a very nice crossing. And, and what did the disciples learn? Sam showed us. He learned, they learned who was in the boat. And they learned that not only could he speak words and he could calm a storm, but that, that there was a healthy fear that they need to have in, in the Lord in understanding who they had in the boat and their relationship with him and what his presence meant to them. So now we are, we're crossed back over where he left the crowd before. A large crowd had gathered around him. Jesus is the center of attention at this point. There are crowds around Jesus, and and it's going to be interesting to see. There are a lot of touches in this uh, passage. Only certain touches get Jesus' response. I can imagine he's getting bumped all the time, right? And he was by the sea. He's on the seashore. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came up, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Synagogue rulers like Jairus, <clears throat> there was usually one or maybe two. Um, these are the people that oversaw the orthodoxy. They oversaw the teaching. They, they set up the preaching schedule. They, they assigned the teachers to, to speak. They also oversaw the organization. These were the ones that turned the lights off when everyone else had left, you know. For much of my Christian life, I showed up at church, and then I'd leave again after the service. I had no idea who turned the lights on, turned the heat on. Uh, The band had warmed up. All these things happened for me. I showed up. I went home. I was just a consumer. But Jairus was one of those people who worked behind the scenes to make it happen. So he had a pretty good idea of what religion looked like, of what a worship service and a Bible study looked like. And what do we, uh, where do we find one of our senses here? What, 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 what sense is it? He saw Jesus. Jairus saw Jesus. G- Jairus was already familiar with, with church. He was familiar with religion. But he sees Jesus. And, and what does he do? He falls uh, at his feet. And so we see a response of faith in Jairus. 
Uh, he's someone who, who has recognized something in Jesus. And it continues on saying, He asked him urgently, My little daughter is near death. She's on her last gasp. This is, this is urgent. We need to do something. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. Jesus went with him. So here's another one of the senses. What is Jairus asking of Jesus? That he would touch his daughter. And what is Jesus' response? It's immediate. This little girl, uh, you can imagine, she's close to her father's heart. And so he's looking for answers. Answers that will satisfy. And he knows, he's seen a lot of things, right, in his life. He knows there are places to go for answers. But he recognizes something different in Jesus. And Jesus hears this response, this request, and he responds immediately. Now, Sam's already did the, whatever they call it, the reveal, and told you that it isn't going to be so immediate. But Jesus, here we are. Let's picture this. He's at the center of attention. He's getting bumped around all over the place. But here's someone who steps out of the crowd. So there are a lot of people who have the same opportunity there are a lot of people looking at Jesus right now. There are a lot of people comparing Jesus to their own experience and understanding. But Jairus is different. Why? Because not only does he see Jesus, he sees something in Jesus, and he exercises faith in Jesus. He does a self-forgetful act, as one commentator says, and he gets down on his knees and he says, I beg you, please. You are the one who is the answer to my need. You are the one who can resolve my crisis. And so he bolsters his faith with this plea to Jesus, and Jesus responds immediately. And so what do we learn here with this faith that comes out of the crowd? We learn that crises, first of all, grab our attention. Uh, life has a way of just going along, doesn't it? And you can imagine this synagogue leader every week, he's getting ready for the next week. Sunday always comes, right? You got to get ready, get the worship songs ready, get the speaker lined up. And then his daughter is on the brink of death. Crises have a way of getting our attention. We also learn that Jesus responds. Jesus is ready and willing to respond to faith, it, faith placed in him. And we uh, see the result of exercise faith. And so as we put our faith into practice, as we act on the things that we believe, we can expect a response. Faith in times of crises Allow us to see God's power and his authority, Christ's power and authority, and strengthens us for future opportunities. So first we see a faith that steps out of a crowd. Next, we see a faith that is emboldened. And so Jesus went with him, comma. And we continue on in verse 24. 
And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Literally, they're suffocating Jesus. Now a woman was there who'd been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. She had endured a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Itai, don't get upset here. Dr. Luke, he doesn't mention how the doctors had let her down, but for some reason Mark has to do this. I don't know why. So she's done a lot, right, for her situation. She's been 12 years with this loss of blood. And she's been trying to find a solution, and she has not found a solution. And here she is. Verse 27, use of a sense. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she kept saying, saying to herself, saying to others, if only I could touch his clothes, I will be healed. So again, it's the, you just imagine, he's being suffocated by people. It's, there is no lack of touch here. People are touching Jesus left and right. But there's a touch that makes a difference. There's a touch here from this woman who is in need of a, a solution. She's been looking for a solution. It isn't like she hasn't been seeking a solution. She's been looking for a long time. It's interesting here um, that she touches Jesus because she is in the state of one who is impure. For a Jew, uh, someone in her condition to touch a prophet would, would, would put him in jeopardy. And so what do we see here? We see a faith that emboldens her. This is a faith that, that causes her not only to step out of the crowd, but to, to take an action that she probably shouldn't have taken, and she knew she shouldn't have taken. And so why does she do that? Because of who Jesus is. And let's look at what happens in verse 32. Or 31, his disciples, uh, okay, no, sorry, where was I? There we go. Jesus knew at once, verse 30, that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples ask a normal question, I think. His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you and you say, who touched me? But he looked to see who had done it. She thought she was going to touch and run. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Where are you? You get over here. You aren't getting away with that. Look what he does. Then, or look what happens. Then the woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Imagine how shameful her situation had been for her. Imagine how difficult her life had been for her. Uh, maybe she was hoping to, to walk away healed, but not have to expose her situation to everyone. Jesus was not just interested in healing her physical condition. He, was, he wanted to free her from her shame. We sang about that this morning, right? 
who we are, who God sees us to be. It frees us from the guilt and shame of our lives. And so Jesus wanted her to come back, and he wanted to address her because he wanted her to know that he willingly healed her. She wasn't stealing a healing. He was a willing participant in this. He was willing to do it. It was going to be complete. And it was complete not just physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. And so what is the result of this this exercise of faith? Again, we see crowds who had the same opportunity. People like this woman who had heard about Jesus. They obviously had heard about something or they wouldn't have been there. Curiosity seeking, gawking, uh, looking at Jesus, wanting to see what was he going to do next. But that presence around Jesus didn't mean that they were interested in what Jesus was bringing or who he was or what he intended to do. And this woman in such an urgent state of physical suffering and shame comes to Jesus, and Jesus sees her, and he knows her. I like this quote uh, from J.R. Edwards. He says, Discipleship is not simply getting our needs met. It is being in the presence of Jesus, being known by him, and following him. Jesus is ready to respond to Jairus. And he could have. But there's something more that needs to be understood before we see his response to Jairus. And that's where we're going to go next. The extent to which Jesus really is worthy of our faith. This is a faith that is emboldened. It's a well-founded faith. One of the misunderstandings that often takes place in discussions of faith is, oh, that's nice, you're people of faith. You know, like that leap of faith. Like you just hope something, you need something, and you find something in God. But the kind of faith that the Bible talks about is not this wishful thinking kind of faith. It has to do with what our faith is founded on. Our faith is a well-founded faith. And this woman's faith is emboldened because she knows that her faith is well-founded. And Jesus shows that that's the case. He said to her daughter, interesting, daughter. Now this woman is probably as old as Jesus is. And back then life expectancy was about 40 years old, 30, 40 years old. So 12 years, a third of her life, she's lived with this suffering, right? And Jesus tenderly says to her daughter, he cares about her. He he responds to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Our faith is well-founded when it's founded on Jesus. Faith in times of crisis allows us to see Christ's power. It allows us to see that authority that we saw back in that first crossing of the, of the, the lake in that boat, right? And it strengthens us for future opportunities. And that's what we find here in this third part. 
And that is in a faith that must mature. Our faith doesn't leave us at that first encounter with Jesus. Our faith is still being challenged today. Wherever we are, however many years we've known the Lord, our faith is being challenged today. There's a preparatory element to what's going on here as well. It's not just about these people who need Jesus' healing touch. It's about the people that are there observing. In verse 35, it says, While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue ruler's house, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? But Jesus overhearing or paying no attention to what was said, told the synagogue ruler, do not be afraid, just believe. Stop fearing, be believing. That's what Jesus was saying. Don't listen to them. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John. So here, Jesus is going to say to the crowds, okay, I'm stepping away, and he's inviting James, John, and Peter uh, into this, and then along with the family, they came to the house of the synagogue ruler where he saw noisy confusion and people weeping and wailing loudly. And maybe this was the mourners, the professional mourners that would show up, who knows? You can imagine the chaos of a scene like this. When he entered, he said to them, Why are you distressed and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. The child is not dead to stay dead. And as Sam said before in the introduction, that's the idea of resurrection. And we haven't come to Lazarus, and we haven't come to Jesus yet, but that's the idea that Jesus is beginning to introduce. And, and we Barbara mentioned this in her prayer. The amazing, miraculous power of God over life. The supernatural. God is, is in control. And, and Jesus says she's not dead to stay dead. This child's not dead, but asleep. And so a natural response, you can understand, they began making fun of him. And so he put them all outside. And he took the child's father and mother and his own companions and went into the room where the child was. Then gently taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which fortunately Mark translates for us because we don't speak Aramaic, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. The girl got up at once and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. The entire time that this woman was struggling with this blood that would not stop flowing, this girl has been living, and now her life is at the end. Interesting. I don't know. But Jesus is going to bring solution to both. They were completely astonished at this. And here is another senses word, astonished. And it literally means... Uh, they were removed of senses. 
They didn't know what to make of this. They were amazed. Who was amazed? Who was amazed? The crowd? No, the disciples. That's what encourages me about the knuckleheads that walked around with Jesus for three years. It helps me when I'm a knucklehead to say there's hope. They were amazed. What are they amazed about? They were in the boat, right? They were in the boat when Jesus calmed the storm. Didn't they learn the lesson? Who's in the boat? I guess they didn't fully learn the lesson. Maybe they kind of learned the lesson, right? Isn't that encouraging? He strictly ordered that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So the little girl's walking around. Now they're going to give her something to eat. She's alive and well, basically. She's fine. But where are the disciples? Jesus says, don't say anything to anybody. Why? Now there are several reasons given to why this might be. Uh, One is that uh, maybe Jesus isn't ready to go fully public with his miracle abilities because he doesn't want a direct confrontation yet with the leaders. Um, Maybe he doesn't want to just create an expectation that he's Mr. Miracle Man and, you know, that's the only reason he wants people to hang out with him. But I think it's also quite possible that he doesn't want the disciples speaking yet because he realizes they don't understand yet. They don't fully understand. And isn't that how we are? Isn't that how we are so many times in our Christian life? We understand, but we don't understand. It's a knowledge that's developing It's a greater understanding of who Jesus is. And because of that greater understanding, we gain more confidence in who he is and in what he wants to do through us. And that's why it's a faith that must mature. Now I'll try to find my notes. Go from memory. All right. We'll do that. Next passage. I think Sam's going to go back before he goes forward. Are you? Yeah. Okay. He told me to skip last passage because this one's about resurrection after the resurrection. So next week you'll go back, but in two weeks you'll go forward. And in the next scene, I'm not going to get into it too much, Jesus will be unable to perform miracles because of the lack of faith in his hometown. Interesting, isn't it? And so, here, Jesus performs miracles. Jesus brings back people from the dead in response to their faith placed in him. It's well-founded faith. And so, what do we learn? Did I skip over that with the last one? No. Yeah, I did. Sorry. Is it worth going back? Probably not. Okay. We learn. What do we learn? Crises get us further along in kingdom usefulness. It's not just about our salvation. It's about what God wants to make of us, right? How he wants to use us for his glory. Jesus introduces crisis as a learning opportunity. 
It wasn't just for Jairus. It wasn't just for the woman or the little girl or the family of the girl. It was for his disciples, the people who spent every day with Jesus. They slept together at the same place. They, they ate together. They talked together. They walked together. And the result of exercise faith is equipping for ministry. And so this is where I want to give you a few minutes. Hopefully, this will work out. We'll see. But what is your crisis of faith? Jackie and I also have a daughter story. When our daughter, Janae, was born, Cameron's older sister, she was in the neonatal intensive care for the first 13 days of her life. Her lungs were not developed. They gave her two doses of uh, surfactant to develop her lungs. She had a tube in her. No one could touch her because when you're in that situation, your touch is a bad thing. Usually babies need touch. She was, couldn't, nothing we could do except look at her. And I remember the doctor, we'd gone to church on Sunday because not much else we could do, right? I mean, we could stand there and stare at our daughter helplessly, praying for her, but where was our confidence? I'm not saying I had great faith. I didn't know what was going to happen. But I remember coming back from church that morning, and the doctor pulled me aside, and I felt like I was going to the principal's office. And he said, I don't think you are aware of how serious this is. And I said, I, I'm not trying to live in denial of the situation, but my trust is not in you and the medical. I'm, I'm grateful for all the good care she's receiving, but I know that she's in the Lord's hands. I don't know what else to say. My hope is in the Lord. And that was for us, it could be a crisis of faith. That was a time where we saw the Lord work. Obviously, the Lord used the medical expertise that we had as an, a means of bringing healing to her. I remember the doctor saying, Janae is a strong-willed child. You can tell she wants to cry. If she didn't have that tube down her throat, she would be screaming her lungs out right now. She's so mad at me, you know? And I thought, that's good. And she's got that strong will, doesn't she? Shoo, she sure does. Such a blessing. But the crisis that is more recent, and it's interesting, someone asked me this unrelated to the sermon, but last week, what was the crisis of faith for you? And I remember 12 years ago, I, was in, I had been in ministry, been a missionary in southern Italy for many years, had a strong sense of God's calling in our life, believed that we were where we were needed to be, and yet questioning. Had I seen results? Was, what, what, am I any good at what I'm doing? Uh, and God brought me into the context of a year-long journey with some other ministry leaders that really changed the trajectory. I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't spent that year with those other uh, men in ministry who spoke into my life, and so what is your crisis of faith? When you think about that, what would you identify as a crisis of faith that God used to increase your confidence in his power and authority and in giving you a vision for what he wants to accomplish in your life? I want you to turn to somebody next to you. You don't have to know them necessarily, but if you're comfortable, 
would you just briefly share? So I'm going to give you, just don't do more than two or three people. But would you share briefly, if you want to, what is your crisis of faith? 